0: Haven't done that since we've been here. Just kind of put a team away really
1: early, and physically dominate. We physically dominated last week. We physically dominated again this week, and uh, I'm really proud of these young men and how they keep fighting and how they keep persevering. You know, we keep saying we're stronger, we're more physical, and I think that's showing up. We're in phenomenal condition. We've been the last two teams we've worn down, um, but today we were able to not shoot ourselves in the foot, and we're able to take advantage of some situations and finish the game off.
0: Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio.
2: Your hosts,
0: Adam Munster-Tiger, Ryan Koenigsberg, and fan correspondent, Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge.
1: Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. We're back. We weren't really dodging you guys last week because of the loss. It just, you know, during the football season, a lot is going on. I think we're going to try to make this happen every couple of weeks. Adam Munster-Tiger here with fan correspondent, Tyler Ziskin, and BSN Denver dot com's ryan konigsberg guys we got to talk about not only the umass game obviously but uh... the disappointment that happened in hawaii let's lead off the show by me asking you guys this do we know more
2: or less about this colorado football team after two games Ooh, that's a tough question um, i feel like i kind of feel like we're back to square one uh... you have this game in hawaii where uh... the, the sky is falling and the buffs are the worst team in the world And then you have this game uh, against UMass where um, the Buffs have run the ball better than they did in 1990. It's like we've seen both overreactions now, and I just feel like we're back to square one. So I guess less is what I'm going for. Um, I really have no idea what team to expect uh, to come out on the field this Saturday. Yeah, it's kind of funny. When I first read this question,
0: I was just like, obviously we know more. We've watched them play two times. And then you start to get into the actual basis of the question and it's like I can't really name one thing that I know for sure we're going to come out and do every week still which is you know kind of lends to what Ryan said and I think maybe we know less and I thought kind of going into camp we kind of had an idea of what this team was going to be and they haven't been that so far so I'm not really sure what to expect every single week I mean obviously the Hawaii loss is super disappointing and to me even the UMass result was even a little bit disappointing for me as well because you can see how well this team can play, and you know you just want to translate that back to well, what what sure. they had done that against Hawaii. So for yeah, so I mean for me, there's still just so many unknowns. It's hard to really put a put your foot on what exactly this team is going to do week in week out. Yeah, obviously from a micro level, you know more about this
1: team, you know certain things about players and different positions and everything. But I, I agree with you guys from a macro level in, in terms of the bottom line, how many. Wins will this football team have this season? I still don't know how to answer that question. And it's a little tougher, too, actually, in, in almost more of a positive light when you look at CU's chances. When you look at the rest of the Pac-12 and some of the struggles that other teams have had early on the season, Arizona State doesn't look like the football team we expected. Arizona struggled week one against UTSA. Um, Washington State struggles to, to, to beat Rutgers. They, they lose their first game to an FCS opponent. Uh, Oregon State gets hammered by Michigan. We didn't expect them to be very good, but there's all of a sudden you look at the the, the schedule in Pac-12 and you go, Stanford, throw them in there. All of a sudden it's not. There's maybe, aside from the L.A. schools um, and uh, Oregon... Obviously, is going to be all right it, it, uh, as as uh, you know. They get as Adams gets more time in that system. But aside from those three games, I mean, any of those other six conference games, all of a sudden, quite a few of them look more winnable than maybe we thought before the season started. So, do we know more or less? We know less. Yeah, and uh, because you know, we talked before the season about if this team is going to win seven games, they they've got to go four and zero non-conference. We just basically assume that. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it's going to be still very difficult to get that. The Pac-12 is, I think, going to be end up better off than it looks right now. Remember the Big Ten last year? After a couple of weeks, everyone was writing them off, and there were some teams, obviously, Ohio State, that kind of rebounded in that conference. So it's too early to say the Pac-12 isn't any good this season, but there's obviously more winnable games on that schedule than we thought. Going back to that Hawaii loss, Tyler, you're the, the fan correspondent here. Kind of share with us how how hard that loss was for you. You you were so excited about that football game. What was kind of your reaction?
0: Yeah, I don't think anybody wanted my reaction immediately post game. It was so I was at Blake Street. uh, There, I'm sure a bunch of you were as well. But it was just the the most frustrating thing for me was I mean there was like 600 people there at three o'clock in the morning. Like there was a lot of CU fans. You could tell were definitely really excited to see this team improve. And from the first series, it was just like, same old, same old. I mean, block, punt, touchdown, given up right away. And it's just like, man, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this isn't the team that we watched during fall camp, you know? Like, that was that was the most frustrating thing for me is, you know, the expectation is that we've been pretty bad for a long time. But I, we watched these guys play during fall camp. This team is not as bad as they've been in years past. They're just not. So to come out there and see them play as bad as some of the teams have in the past few years, it was just really frustrating to see. And, you, you know, the thought creeps into your head is, is this ever going to change? Like, because there's the, the amount of talent on that team, that you shouldn't play like that. And, yeah, you know, it's Hawaii and you're on the road and it's a long trip and the time difference is crazy and all that stuff. But that, I mean, I did say we were probably going to go 3-1 non-conference. So, in hindsight, like, I'm not... But to put pass. your backs against the wall right. after the first, first game. Exactly, yeah. So, it's... I'm not like trying to say that the season's over or anything. It was just a very, very frustrating start to a season that
2: was supposed to be different for me. It's a frustrating thing for guys like Adam and I when there's a game like that that we just know is is such a meltdown game that it's like why why do I even write something about this cuz no one wants to, to they, everyone wants to erase this from their mind. That's that's kind of a frustrating thing for us. It's like this is no one's going to see this because everyone hates what happens so much.
1: And then you gotta go out there and interview Mike McIntyre after practices <laughs> and he's obviously rightfully so not in a good mood and, and stuff. I in no I, mood to talk about your lacerations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I felt like like off for like three days after that too because of my sleep schedule with that. I mean it's it's I hope they never ever play a football game at eleven PM at night <laughs> again. I don't even like that game just in general. It's like you try to treat it like a business trip, but You go out there and you're staying in a really nice hotel right on the beach, and it's just like it's hard to stay focused as a football team going out there. Uh, I know you want to kind of give these kids experiences while they're playing football at Colorado, but maybe
0: that's one you leave out going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's also we have no bye weeks. You're playing an extra game on the schedule, and now you have to win seven instead of six to make a bowl. There are a lot of like negative associations with playing in that game, especially when you lose. I mean, you come out of that with a loss you know, it really becomes a huge mistake on your schedule. What are some things that
1: have been affirmed about this football team? Obviously small sample size, just two games, but certain things that we saw during camp that have really shown up. Let's kind of go around here and kind of
0: share our thoughts. Tyler, why don't you lead us off here? I mean, the most obvious one is the special teams issues. I mean, I think going into fall camp, we... In, and as we progressed through fall camp, we knew that that was going to be a concern. Special um, teams issues boils down was, to punting, though. Yeah, and I mean, partner turns as well. I okay. mean, we, we haven't it looked very good on punt turns. I mean, you've already got Nelson back there, who they're basically just asking to catch the ball for the most part. Um, you know, you can see we were talking a little bit about the show the show about Shea being, I mean, you can already tell it's kind of in his head a little bit, which is not what you want, because he's pretty explosive. I mean, if he's confident back there, he can make some plays. And to me, Diego's been great, so I don't want to throw him in there. I mean, he's been well above expectations for me. But just overall, I mean, the, the special teams is the one thing that's really, I think, hurting us right now.
1: Again, small sample size with all these stats I'm going to throw out during this show. But net punting, they rank 117th nationally right now after two weeks. They were 25th in that category with Daro O'Neill last year. They're only averaging 29 yards in terms of net punting this season. Obviously, that, uh, you, you have to try to be that bad. Punting.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that one, that's that been uh, super concerning because in, in a close game, and you saw it against Hawaii a little bit, but it, they're going to be in a lot of close games this year, and you just have to be able to flip the field over. Um, and I think they were lucky. I was shocked um, that UMass wasn't sending people hard at Kenny, but I think when you see that happen again, uh, there's probably going to be another punt block this year. Um, So things like that are are such a big um, flip there. Um, Another thing I think that was affirmed um, was this week, and not so much against Hawaii, but uh, the struggle of Akella Witherspoon. Um, I think in in camp we talked a lot about how uh, he can have up up and down games, um, and we saw him have one of those down games pretty quickly against UMass. But um, I thought it was actually good to see Mike McIntyre, have enough trust in a guy like John Walker, where he just, he you know, uh, Kello has a couple bad plays in a row, you're done. Um, and John Walker kind of held his own out there.
1: For me, one of the things that, that stood out is we heard all through uh, spring ball, all through preseason camp, the players talking about how much better Jim Levitt's scheme is than Kent Bear's scheme, and that's obviously shown itself to be true. There was obviously missed tackles in the UMass game, um, but by and large, that, Defense looks totally
0: different with, with Jim Levitt. Yeah, what the I mean, hell? they're definitely creating more pressure up front, which is what you want. I mean, a lot of good things are going to happen for you in terms of turnovers if you can just create pressure up front. I mean, for me, I had a little bit of I – I just said the safety play has been better, as we expected, was another thing that was affirmed for me. I think we, last year that was a huge question mark, and this year we all felt pretty good about it going into camp um, – or, or going into the season. I mean, and it, by and large, it's been a much improved from last year, definitely. You know, there's mistakes here and there for sure, but I think overall the safety play has really helped us out. Because to me, Crawley and Witherspoon haven't played great yet, and the secondary overall has still been fairly solid. So to me, this, the safeties have been
2: pretty good. Uh, yeah, another thing I think would be the freshmen that we expected to play. Um, so far, basically everyone who through camp... Um, even through the first couple of days, we kind of could pick out um, the guys we thought we were going to see out there. So Nick Fisher, um, Isaiah Oliver, N.J. Follow, Patrick Carr, um, Kenny. Um, and Kenny um, are the five that we kind of thought had a chance to see it out there. And um, like we thought, Carr looks like he's got uh, some special boost in him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he does, he's quicker than any of the other backs, that's for sure. And I think that's cool to see that they have another, I mean, with such a good running attack and then they just bring in another uh, element there. Um, It's pretty obvious that this running game um, could be pretty big for them this year. I
1: didn't know if I liked the fact that they were going to play Patrick Carr this season just because I didn't know if he was going to get enough carries, but seeing him a little bit in the UMass game, I I think it's going to be a really valuable experience. Obviously, we see the speed, but we also see a little tentativeness with him being a freshman running back out there and that's some of the stuff that maybe he can kind of work out and self-analyze this season and the only way you can do that is if you get out there on game day and then obviously Christian Powell being a senior is going to graduate so next year he'll go into the season um, having some more experience uh, obviously in games. Uh, For me this team we thought it was going to be more physical and it has been more physical than some of the recent CU football teams we've seen that's another thing that's been kind of reaffirmed. It very, as disappointing as the Hawaii loss was, it wasn't because they were out physical in that football game.
0: No, yeah, not at all. I mean, I think just this—you're seeing overall on both sides of the ball that they're trying to impose their will a little bit more. And in seasons past, they weren't even able to do that against teams in smaller divisions than us, and that's that hasn't been the case so far this year. I mean, but you're right. I mean, Hawaii—we moved the ball really well on uh, offense on the ground they kinda of went from it away from it in the second half, which I think a lot of us questioned at the time and you saw them go back to it pretty heavy in the UMass game. I mean I don't think we expected in camp for us to be running the ball for three hundred yards all that much. I mean we threw the ball a lot last year, but I, I think it's a good sign that they're, you know, finding what's actually working and kind of focusing on that as as we go through that. I don't know if we'll be able to pound the ball for three hundred yards against CSU, probably not. It'll have to be a little more of a balanced attack, but we'll see.
1: Anything else guys here? I have one more thing just in terms of things that we thought were gonna be part of this football team that have shown themselves to be there. And that's better depth defensively. You know, when you can bring out, when Akela Witherspoon struggles, you can bring a guy like John Walker off the bench and he makes a big play for you in a fumble. Guys like Jace Frankie, before he suffered that head injury, he looked really good. Rick Gamboa comes in there and, and <laughs> you can almost make an argument. It's it's an upgrade, at least just from the, the brief snippet we've seen from him. Samson Kafavalu is not even starting this year. Uh, Afalabe Laguda is uh, you know is a good depth piece. Evan White, Eddie Lopez, Jared Bell, N.J. Follow, Eddie Lopez, all these guys are that are coming off the bench that are you don't really see a big drop-off. That was another yeah. thing we expected, and it's actually shown itself to be true. Yeah. What are the things that has surprised us the most? There's quite a few for me. Uh, from what we saw during camp?
2: Uh, number one for me is the play of Michael Adkins. Um, I, I said on this very podcast that I thought he was going to be the odd man out in the running rotation based off of what I saw in camp. Um, I think it just comes down to him being a gamer. Uh, he's I, he's one of those players who might not be the biggest fan of practice, uh, but when he gets out there, uh, we talked about it before the show, his, his field vision is really, really, really good, um, and you're you're able to see... Him use that to his advantage pretty quickly, so um, I was completely wrong uh, about him being the odd man out there. He he looks like he's the go uh, on his way to becoming a feature back.
1: He runs downhill. I just love that aspect of him. That's my one complaint with Christian Powell at times is that he seems to run upright. Michael Atkins seems to get the most out of uh, out of his opportunities, and we saw in that UMass game with just a couple runs that were amazing runs. His unassuming personality makes him kind of fly, I think, a little bit more under the radar than a Philip Lindsay, who everybody is requesting for interviews and this and that. Um, In my story the other day, I wrote, he's a man of many yards, but not a man of many words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a kid that just wants to do his job and go to class, get good grades. Um, he says, the offensive line just opens up the holes and I just run through them. It's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, another thing that surprised us is Diego Gonzalez, four for four. With his field goals, a couple 40-yarders. His other two were uh, 30 yards beyond, 8 of 8 from extra points. His first couple made us all nervous with the, the, the low trajectory of his kicks on those extra points. But, I mean, he we were so worried about that place kicker. and it could still potentially be an issue, but through two weeks, I mean, he's been the most consistent player on this
0: football team. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with anything that he's done really so far. And adding on to that a little bit, Chris Graham put four, sure. four or five in a row into the end zone. On Saturday, and that's—I mean—I didn't expect to see that either. So I mean, from that perspective, those things are improving pretty drastically. Um, To me, the the one thing that I had on there is just a lack of explosion. I mean, I thought with our weapons on offense that you would see more big plays. I mean, you haven't seen much of Shea Fields. You haven't seen much of Devin Ross. You haven't even really seen that much of Nelson Spruce downfield. I mean, he's—I think he's got 14 catches, but. I I can't remember any of them being over maybe 20 or 25 yards. I mean, he's he's only got about 140 yards, I think, on the year right now. Yeah, he's only averaging 9.5 yards per catch. Yeah, and we just haven't had those explosive plays that I thought maybe we'd be ready to take that next step up this year.
2: Yeah, that's the opposite of last year at the beginning of the year, and usually you're able to get those explosive plays against these lesser opponents uh, on the non-conference slate. So I think that's uh, something to definitely keep an eye out for and be concerned, but I still feel like uh, Brian Lindgren has been holding a couple things up his sleeve, and I and I, I said before this UMass game that I didn't think it would be smart for him to do that. Obviously, they run the ball so well that he didn't really have to pull out anything. I know they did run the reverse to Patrick Carr, um, but I, I feel like they haven't used a lot of their offense so far, and, and I think they realize how big it is to win this CSU game, so I, I think you will see the offense open up uh, greatly this week.
1: One thing that, that surprised me a little is that Sefo Lufau really hasn't taken another step forward. He was had us all worried with his camp performance back in 2014 going into the season and, of course, uh, had his issues with turnovers but still had a, a relatively good season with breaking some school records. This year, part of it's the pass protection. Obviously, that was the main issue in the Hawaii game, but it's it's kind of like Cepho Cepho, and, and I don't really see any difference or any progress or you know positives to take
0: from last season to this season. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, and they're not really throwing the ball nearly as much, uh, which is interesting as well. I mean, but yeah, I mean, they just like, kind of back to the lack of explosiveness I was talking about, they're really not putting together big plays, and they're relying a lot more on their run game. And we'll see if maybe against CSU they do open it up a bit. Um, so the next one for me was Kenneth Crawley. I thought that he was really going to be like a shutdown guy this year. So far, I mean, he, he hasn't been awful. He played he much better, much better against UMass. Yeah, but he, ha- I mean, he, he got lucky on that one deep ball that that dropped over him. I think it was in the second yeah. quarter. Again, I mean, like I just you don't expect those kind of mistakes from him anymore. To me, to me, I mean, it's, I'm being hard on him because I have a lot of high expectations for him mm-hmm. for sure. But he hasn't been as good as I thought he was going to be so far.
1: I mean, he basically was. If it would work for some of his breakdowns in the, in the Hawaii game, I mean, was there was there anything
2: else to even complain about defensively in that Hawaii game? No, not that I can remember. Yeah, I said this is kind of going off tangent a little bit, but uh, I said before this UMass game that I think Colorado needed to put out a performance um, where the fans want to make excuses for them in the UMass game, and I even have my in my head. I kind of in my, in looking at the Hawaii game completely different now and kind of seeing those crazy little things that happen, you know, the little mistakes, and you look at that, and Mike McIntyre has brought this up a couple times about how they physically dominated that game, and you look at the way they ran the ball against UMass, and if you look back at that game, they really were physically dominating. Um, I think that gives me hope for this team going forward.
1: That's about all the things that have surprised me so far. Do you guys have anything else?
0: Not really. I mean, I had inconsistency of the offensive line on there as well, but it's kind of at the positions that I think we expected. I thought maybe it would be a little more solid than they've been so far, but I think they're getting corrected. I mean, they definitely look much better obviously yeah. in game two, so we'll just see if those are kind of chalked up the first game jitters or not. But Yeah, I mean, they
1: tied Stanford for the fewest sacks allowed last season, and again, I I kind of expected maybe the pass protection wouldn't be quite that good this season, but yeah, I mean, to, to be as bad as they were in the Hawaii game in that area was definitely surprising. Mike McDeer had a Interesting comment. He said he thinks if UMass and Hawaii played on a neutral field, that UMass would win that football game. I don't. Th- I don't personally agree with that because I don't think UMass's defense is good enough to win a game against. Not that Hawaii's offense is anything to to marvel at, but I would take. I think Hawaii in a neutral field game.
2: Yeah, that's that's an odd comment. I think yeah, just trying to pump pump his own tires there yeah. on his win. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with that too. But to me, it, Hawaii is a totally different ball club when they're not in
0: hawaii so you put them on a neutral field and i mean they're, they're really capable of anything for me um i mean i think hawaii would probably handle them easily at home and on the road it could be the complete opposite and i wouldn't be surprised
2: maybe, so it's, maybe just, it's gonna be like on an aircraft carrier between yeah, hawaii and, yeah. <laughs> and the mainland i thought it was funny that the spread of hawaii and ohio state was 38 points and the score of the game was 38-0 <laughs> <laughs> stamp the spread right at the beginning I was kind of upset by
1: the the res ending of that game because it was like Hawaii played so much better than the final score indicated. Obviously not offensively, but it was like seven nothing for a long period of time, then fourteen nothing for a long time. They battled Ohio State, and it, it doesn't make you feel quite as bad about Colorado's performance. You know, the better uh, that and, and Hawaii's going to play Wisconsin now, and, and Boise State coming up pretty soon. So they'll be continued to be tested here. Let's give out some game balls here, guys, and then. At the end of the season, we'll kind of recap which guys got the most throughout the course of the season for the Hawaii game. Let's go around the, the table here. Offense, defense, and special teams, who would you give the game ball to? I know CU doesn't give game balls to, to players after a loss, but uh, we're going to do that here on the
0: show. Uh, for offense, Hawaii, I had Michael Atkins. Um, I mean, he – I think it was really for me more or less just how we saw him in camp. It was just the most surprising overall performance. Um, and as we have special teams on here too, so – We'll talk about that later, but I think, yeah, from an offensive perspective, Atkins was the easy choice for me, at least. Uh, defense, not just surprising, he did have the only two touchdowns for the offense, yeah, too. Yeah, the game. And, uh Ryan Moeller, um, I had as the defense for the first, uh, first game. Uh, you know, it's your first start of the year, and I think a lot of people were really questioning whether or not he was ready to go, even though a lot, everybody who was at camp was really confident in him, but other people not, so... He's just a really solid guy. I mean, he's going to be starting every game I think the rest of his career if he's healthy. And special teams, obviously, was Diego as the only real choice, but also because he really did a very good, really good job, kept us in the game.
2: Yeah, for offense in the Hawaii game, I had Atkins as mine. Um, that's a pretty clear choice there. Uh, defense, I went with Derek McCartney because um, he has that interception there, and so much in the offseason was talking about you know creating turnovers and all that, and he has really the interception that. Um, sparks the offense a little bit in that game. I thought, you know, he doesn't make that play. The offense, who knows if they keep struggling from there on out. Um, and then special teams, uh, obviously Diego.
1: Yeah, I was with you guys, with Michael Atkins and Diego Gonzalez for the offense and special teams. Defensively, I went with Cheeto bay Owuze. I thought about Derek McCartney for a minute. Cheeto Bay, with uh, six tackles, which tied for the team lead in the Hawaii game. He had an interception, two pass breakups, and a quarterback hurry. He's had a really nice start to the season. Uh, for UMass, I'll start here uh, for offense again. Michael Atkins gets my game ball on this 123 yards, a touchdown, and he kind of uh, wore down that that uh, UMass defense and allowed for some other guys like Philip Lindsay and Christian Powell to have some some big running days as well. Defensively, I went Ryan Moeller here. Uh, we heard basically every coach and player talk about that interception after Afalabi Luguda was ejected being the diff the the really really the turning point in that football game. And so I'll give it to him. And then special teams, Diego Gonzalez, again in this one, hits a 30-yarder and a 31-yarder. So Diego Gonzalez and Mike Latkins uh, get my offense and special teams game balls for for both of the first two games.
2: I'm going out of the box a little here for uh, my offensive game ball. Uh, i got to give it to uh, Lee Walker, who I'm now calling Lee Blocker. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That block that he had to spring Christian Powell's touchdown, just like, maybe got me as fired up as I've ever been watching a football game like I just wanted to go hit somebody after that it was so cool he's so small the guy he the guy he pancaked was like it looked like had about 30 pounds on him yeah it's funny because the the play is all going one way and my eyes just completely get diverted because something else is happening where some guy is just getting completely moved the other way and you just see Lee Walker just basically like carrying this guy off the field uh, and just seeing the reaction of the players and the coaches Um, was really awesome, so Lee Blocker. I think Mike Mike McIntyre would give Lee Walker the game ball, too, based off his reaction (laughs) on that play. Uh, And then on defense, I had to go with Moeller, too. Um, He gets beat on a wheel route earlier in the game that almost goes for six and and does result in UMass's first points. Uh, He gets pulled at at a point there, and Evan White comes in and really doesn't uh, do anything to warrant being back out there. Mike McIntyre goes back to his guy in Moeller, And he makes that play, and I just think that that's such a big thing um, for him not to put his head down after getting pulled and making a couple mistakes, and goes in there and makes that play, which, as everyone said, turned the game. And then on special teams, gotta go with Diego. I I love that he's like walking out there with a whole different confidence. You can just see he's feeling really good about the way he's hitting the ball right now. And um, there was a play, there there was a chance at the end there to kick like a 55 yarder, and you and I talked about it. it. there was just no reason to do it because I, I think Diego's confidence is so high. Um, why have him go out there and miss a long field goal on a game that you're completely in control of? Um, so I've been really impressed with the way Diego is, and, and it's nice to see him being so confident out there because he's a nice kid.
1: And also I think
2: we should credit uh,
1: Jimmy Gilbert a little bit on that Molar interception. I think he was the guy that got the pressure on there. He hasn't got a lot of pressure on the quarterback this year, but on that one play it was uh, kind of him that forced that ball to be uh, thrown uh, poorly by a apple.
0: Yeah, for me I had Atkins again on offense. Um, I actually had Cheeto on defense for this particular game because I already picked Moeller. Um, I think he led the team in tackles and get eight tackles in this game. I uh, had a big sack at one point. I remember early on in the game that kind of moved them back and out of out of uh, range to continue a play when it was getting pretty tight. Um, so to me he's been the most consistent guy on the defense. So I already had Moeller, so I put I'd use Cheeto for my second one, and then obviously Diego again on special teams. Game, really
1: good. Sounds good. Let's go rapid fire here. Just go position by position. We already talked a little bit about Sefa. We're not really showing that he's taking that step forward. Uh, Kate Apse, They didn't announce this, but apparently he was suspended for the first couple games. Not like it really matters, but he's one of the guys that would uh, uh, relay on the, the the signals to the quarterback. Uh, anything else to talk about with this group? Uh, the do do you, I would assume that this that Sefo is going to improve going forward uh, right now. They're 106th in the country in passing offense. A lot of that has to do with the fact that they were so focused on running against UMass.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it'll get better. I mean, he played definitely much better in the UMass game than Hawaii, I thought, um, despite not the numbers weren't crazy by any means. But, I mean, if, 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 if he can avoid the turnovers, you know, on a consistent basis this year, I think he'll be all right at that position. Um, you know, if you can go between zero and one turnover a game, I mean, you're yeah. b- more often than not you're going to be happy with the final result. I would think.
1: Now, Sefa almost did throw a pick six in the UMass game. We were watching it here, the replay before we started this. I, I mean, and then uh, I guess in the in the U uh, in the Hawaii game, he said the ball slipped out of his hand. He was trying to throw the ball away. So, I mean, he's been okay there. I guess he hasn't. It's still like I think most quarterbacks are going to have that one brain fart a game. And yeah, he said
2: that. Yeah, he said that. That's not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that maybe he's just trying to protect George Frazier, but you could see after the game he really thought George Fraser was going to go upfield there instead of going out to the sideline. He kind of threw his hands up, but he definitely wasn't just trying to throw it away. Ru- anyway.
1: Running back, do you guys like, I mean, obviously we kind of saw in, in the UMass game that they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna roll with Atkins as long as he's healthy and producing, but they're still going to get Powell and uh, Lindsay, their carries, and then anytime there's a situation where you can get a few carries for Car, it looks like they're going to do that as well. Uh, we weren't so excited about this running back committee, but they're putting up 390
2: rushing yards. It's kind of hard to complain about it. Yeah, it's looked good, and I think in, they've gotten a little bit better about um, putting in who when. Um, they've stuck with Atkins when he's run the best, um, and then they kind of have brought in Phil Lindsay at the right times to be that change of pace kind of Mm -hmm. guy and bring in a different mentality there. And then um, I really like the way they've used Christian Powell because Michael Adkins is a physical back, and he goes out there and he wears down the defense, and then you bring even a bigger, more physical back, and once they're kind of already on their heels in it, and Powell, who you kind of talked about, isn't the most downhill runner can kind of take advantage of the fact that this defenseman has been getting worn and worn and worn, and then you just go throw it, you know, a bigger back at them, and I think it makes it even harder for them to tackle him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I've definitely enjoyed the rotation so far as well. Um, last year it seemed like a lot of the time that they would get get the hot hand out of the game a little early. This year it seems like they're kind of letting Atkins punish the defense a little bit more until he's tired. You bring in, like he said, you bring in Christian Powell, you bring in Philip Lindsay as a change of pace. And by that point, they're you know, you know you're at an advantage already when they get into the game. Um, and I think they're doing a smart thing with Patrick Carter. He had five carries last game. If he gets five carries a game, you know like I don't think he will. I think it's well good. right. But I mean, if he if 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 he if he wants to, that's a lot of experience. He's been in some special teams as well. Um, so I think it'll just and, and you'll I'm sure we'll see somebody get banged up along the way as well. Sure. So I, I think you have to, really have to be really happy about how the future. of I mean, between Patrick Carr and Philip Lindsay. You got two really good running backs that are gonna be here for a long time still. So to me, you have to feel pretty good about the future of that um, of the running back group and this year I can't imagine that. You know, someone's gonna be hot every game. You just gotta find that guy. So to me you gotta feel pretty good about the running game going forward this year for sure.
1: Receivers haven't been great. I mean this is a position we expect a little bit more out of coming into the season. Um, Devin Ross and Jay McIntyre with drops early, uh Donovan Lee suspended for a couple games. We'll see him for the first time against CSU. Bo- Bryce Bobo with just one catch. Uh, Spruce, again, I mean, he does ranks tied for second in the Pac-12 in receptions, but aside from that one touchdown against UMass, nothing
2: really super explosive. Shea Fields. It was a sweet touchdown, though. It's it was. used like, the He used the exact same move on three different dudes and left them all in the dust. <laughs> Shea Fields has struggled
1: early on this season. I know he's, he's caught eight balls, but I guess part of that is – you think about the the punt return issues as well. Anything else you guys want to talk about with the receivers?
0: To me, they just got to find a way to stretch the field a bit more. It's going to be tough for them to get
2: open if no one, if everyone knows they're not going to get the ball deep. I think so they have to find a way to get that. I think Donovan Lee is going to be a a nice addition for them to, to get back in. They really haven't gotten much production out of that slot, and um, Brian Lindgren was very very confident um, in what Donovan Lee was doing in fall camp, so I'm excited to see what they, how they use him this week because they they've hardly use the middle of that field, and I think Donovan Lee um, can open that up a little bit more for them.
1: And he brings a versatile aspect, too, to that position, which is a defense coordinator always has to kind of account uh, count for, for him because he could always uh, run around in the backfield and carry the ball. Tight end, haven't seen a lot out of Sean Irwin. He's caught a couple balls. I'm expecting
2: a little bit more out of him. I thought he had a really good camp. My question to you during the game was, will Sean Irwin catch a ball this year when he's not facing the quarterback?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. It <laughs> better be a seam route if it is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. To me, it's kind of a product that they haven't really gotten very explosive yet. You're not going to see a lot of open space in the middle of the field when they're not guarding anybody deep. So if, if that does happen, I think you'll start to see him open up a bit more. And they use him a lot in the run game. Um, so to me, you know, he's, he's a guy that... I'm more confident in him than I have been in most of the tight ends for the past five or six years. So,
1: Offensive line has done a great job with run blocking and they struggled in pass protection, kind of a Jekyll and Hyde unit. How do you quantify all that, putting it all together? I would say uh, this is a group that... Um, and you have two first-year starters, so you would expect some growth out of guys like Jared Coe and, and Shane Callahan and Huckins. I've actually been pretty impressed with Shane Callahan with some of his ability in the run game to, to get out and pull and, and get blocks down in, in that second level.
0: Yeah, he definitely looked like he separated himself in the second game to me for sure, um, especially for a guy that we weren't sure had the feet to really be able to pull. He was. I mean, we were watching it on the game before we just came on the show here, and he's definitely. I mean, he's basically pushing Sefo into the end zone on that one draw in the first quarter um and he's coming all the way from the other side of the line so that's good to see um to me looking back on it it's not as surprising that they're struggling more with pass protection I mean you look at the skill sets of a guy like Callahan, a guy like Coe road graders uh, same thing with Nembot you know we, we've known all along he struggles with the footwork on pass protection so I guess looking back on it it's not all that surprising that we've seen a little bit of issues in pass protection and that they've been really solid in in the run game um I think that'll Self-correct over time, but I mean, at the very least, you got to feel good about what they're able to do on the ground.
2: Yeah, I think we talked a little bit um, before the season about how these replacements at guards um, we thought they were more talented or had a higher ceiling. I
1: felt where, that way
2: with Co, not necessarily at the right guard spot. Okay, well, to me, I, I thought they they might have had higher ceilings, um, and I think in the run game is where you've seen that kind of show, um, and. I, if they can keep getting that run game going i think it can really help them um as they develop cuz it does you know take time to be, become one as an offensive line and um if this offense you know gets that passing game back come conference play this this offense could really be dynamic
1: and uh something to throw out there too is jeremy irwin's situation he obviously left the UMass um, game with it looked like on the replay a, a knee injury. Now Colorado decided midway through last week that they're not going to give injury reports anymore. I'm looking at Ryan right now. It's actually not your fault. But <laughs> it's not
2: <laughs> my fault. I did ask the question that I put Mike McIntyre over the edge somehow. He, like I said, was in no mood to talk about ear lacerations.
1: <laughs> yeah, on the weekly injury report, it's a Taron Hasselback ear laceration. Suffered off the field, and so Ryan was just kind of curious about that. And apparently, that wasn't supposed to be in the injury notes.
2: Yeah, I, I think the reason Mike McIntyre was kind of upset, and I honestly, the reason I asked the question is because we keep hearing about these weird off the field injuries. Yeah. Him. I thought I was kind of setting him up to be like, you, you wouldn't believe it. Like, you walked into a book his fridge the, or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to set him up for that, and I think the reason he was upset is because like Taron Hasback didn't miss any practice. Yeah, he was in the game. It, it was kind of a stupid thing to even include in there. Um, so, so I guess I think that's why he was upset. He's like, why does anyone need to know about that?
1: I'm um, like, it makes me more curious about that now yeah, as to why. Yeah, because, cousin's because of his reaction.
2: I was like, man, something weird happened with that because he was just like, yeah, he hurt his ear. He hurt his ear. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, Okay, so now we don't get injury reports. We don't get injury updates in the press box.
1: But the other team, a guy goes down and we get a report on him. It's yeah, we, a don't even, deal.
2: we didn't even get in the press box, like, a uh, player down for Colorado is Jace Frankie. Like, they really shut down anything involving injuries.
1: And that segues us to the defensive line here. And Jace was playing really well. He was, like, the star of that first game on the defensive line. And, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but the way he was walking off the field, I, apparently uh, it's a concussion. Um, so,
0: hopefully... He uh, recovers here pretty well, pretty yeah, quickly. He walked right by me because I was sitting right on the fence right there when he was going into the locker room. He was definitely, his bell his bell was rung for sure. And he was a guy in camp that I had said was just kind of iffy to me. But, yeah, he's been great in the game so far. It's kind of surprising that Samson Cafavalo got passed over. Jordan Carroll
1: and Leo Jackson, the JC additions, are starting on that D-line. Uh, they've played pretty well. Um, and, and Solis has been Quietly very solid in that yeah,
0: yeah. nose
2: tackle role. Yeah, he had a sack. Him. Him I joked about him. I don't think he was ready to get a sack. He didn't have a, a celebration plan. He just kinda caught somebody. Yes. You guys. He like kinda ran out like he was gonna <laughs> do a celebration and then just didn't have anything, went back. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, he's
0: really been pretty solid. I'm happy with I'm happy for him, really, because you know, people were like, oh no, Justin Solis. Playing eighty percent of the snaps or whatever, I and mean, he's just—he's really done his job. He's done yeah, he's exactly. What you expect from.
1: We heard that the way this new defensive scheme was was set up uh, with the three man front that it was going to really free the linebackers up. We haven't seen that though.
2: Yeah, I, I the linebackers have been like invisible to me, um, and you really do—you really need fast um, impact linebackers for this defense to be great. Uh, it's still been good even without those guys, which I think is encouraging, but. Um, Like, have you heard Addison Gillum's name called at all this year? Yeah, it's kind of funny.
0: Most of our linebackers have no tackles, pretty much. It's hard to imagine that the defense, by and large, has been pretty good overall to see those type of staggering tackle numbers from the linebackers. I mean, I feel like they're getting good pressure off the edge. They're definitely moving the quarterback in the pocket more than they did last year, making quick throws. Um, You know, we've played two teams that get the ball out pretty quick and play on the perimeters a lot, so I think that probably has something to do with it as well. But... Yeah, I mean, it has, it has definitely, it's been weird to watch them play defense because you're not seeing the guys you expect making all these plays in the middle of the field, but it's hard to determine really whether that's a product of what they feel like is open from an offense perspective or if they are really just struggling to transition into the defense.
1: Defensive backs, we talked about them quite a bit earlier. Um, obviously, Kenneth Crawley struggled against Hawaii. Keller Witherspoon struggles <coughs> against UMass. Um, those guys need to, especially if Richard Higgins is healthy this Saturday, those guys need to step up their game. One guy I, I was happy to see perform well coming off the bench was John Walker. This is a guy that practiced primarily at Nickelback, and then because Akella Witherspoon is struggling um, from the physical aspect of the game, they put him in there. And John Walker, man, it's it, it, it's like it goes to that cliche, it's not the, the size of the dog but the size of the fight in the dog. I, I enjoy watching him play football.
2: Yeah, he, he's definitely a fighter, and he can – he can put some, uh, lay some wood out there, too. He's a pretty big hitter. Um, it's definitely uh, discouraging to see the way that uh, Kello and Kenny have each had their struggles there, though. Uh, these aren't exactly uh, explosive offenses, great, great receivers that they've been going against. They're going to have much, much bigger challenges ahead of them, and uh, nothing they've done so far really convinces you that they're going to be as solid as we really thought they were going to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely a definite concern for me. I'll just go back to John Walker for a second. He's a guy that has really won me over in the past year. I just, last year, you know, he struggled and got benched a couple times and then he came back in later in the year and I thought really played very solid. He's gotten a lot better and I just, I'm really happy for him. It seems like every time he comes in off the bench, he does exactly what you need from him. So it's just, I I really enjoy watching him play. It's great to see him have success. I think he deserves it. He's been working really hard.
1: And these DBs are intercepting some passes, which is a a new thing. (laughs) Last year they they rank 112th in turnover margin, and they're tied for 40th uh, this year. They're positive in turnovers after two
0: weeks. That's pretty exciting. Which which is hard to imagine, given that we all watched that Hawaii game, and it seemed like the ball was just on the ground the entire first half. (laughs) Yeah.
1: What do you guys think about Isaiah Oliver and... um, Nick Fisher playing as true freshman. They haven't seen action defensively, but they're on special teams units. Isaiah Oliver's on three special teams units, and Fisher's on two.
2: Are you okay with that? Yeah, I think it's good to get him in there. And they both got uh, some time at corner at the end of that game, which I thought was really good. Um, Neil Welk, who who covers the team for CBuffs.com and was in there more, told me, Before the season, Isaiah Oliver is just a complete natural in coverage. It's not one of those things where he he looks like he's chasing people. He looks like he's just covering people. Um, And you kind of saw that in in the few plays he got at the end of that UMass game. Um, Two times, he was right on a guy and got his hand in there and and deflected it. So I think it's very important to get these guys, those reps, get them comfortable on the field because cornerback is... Probably the hardest position out there, um, and it's not a, a really a position where you can just insert somebody and let them coast on their natural talent. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough because
0: you would obviously like to redshirt them and have them, you know, down the line as as seniors, uh, want your redshirt seniors. But to me, you look at the top three guys of Walker, Witherspoon, and Crawley; they're all upperclassmen. You got to You got to start breeding these guys to um, to to replace them. I mean, I think it's Oliver to me. Is gonna, he's gonna be really, really good. So good. I'm really happy with what how he's looked to me throughout the year. He's just so fluid, got incredible speed, and he's got really good size. Fisher reminds me a little more of John Walker. He's gonna be a more physical guy, more stout. Um, but they're both gonna help us on special teams as well. I think they're gonna get a lot of snaps um, one way or the other, and it, maybe it would've been nicer, Richard one or the other, but I do think you need to be able to groom both of them as replacements here pretty quickly. And it seems to me like the, t- the coaching staff is just really high on their potential, so they're just trying to get them as much game experience as they can right away.
1: The punt returner, I don't think you guys would disagree that. I'd like to see Nelson Spruce take over that role full-time now going forward. I think I don't think she, it's that Shea Fields is incapable of doing that, but just after making that mistake on his first punt return of the season, it seems to be in his head. We saw him really react very awkwardly to the first punt that came his way in the, in the UMass game before Spruce took over.
2: Yeah, actually, I don't mind uh, having Jay back there. I think that might be a little smarter decision um, because he seems to have just just as uh, steady of hands back there. And you just don't want to take the risk, you know, that uh, someone someone down there thinks it's worth the, the 15 yards to lay Nelson out when he's looking up into the sky. Um, I think... Jay, might have a little more escapability, too. so, yeah, I mean, one of those two you'd you'd rather see back there. I kind of see it the same way. Like it's just
0: so there's it's like a no win scenario for me to have Nelson back there because he's not he's not going to be a guy that gets twenty five yards in a return. That's not what he's back there to do. And he's your most important offensive player. Like the risk is just really high to have him back there, and obviously Shades struggled. But I just wish that there was another option, maybe even besides those two at this point. Just because having Nelson back there, you you know he's gonna return the ball three yards. It's not the best case scenario because he's just not. He's that's what he's. He's not trying to be explosive. He's trying to catch the ball. So it's it's just one of those things that it's a little bit frustrating to watch and a little bit nerve wracking for me. So I would hope that
2: they find another solution there, but. We'll see what happens. The extra option is not Phil Lindsay, according to Mike McKenna. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He had no problem saying uh, he's not back there because he doesn't catch well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he's done a good job with the kickoff returns. Colorado, after just two weeks, ranks 18th in kickoff returns, so he's solid there. I don't think we really need to spend much time on that. Punter, I mean, is this a case of Alex Kinney just getting those jitters out of the way, or do we start to wonder about his long-term potential yet?
0: I don't know. I mean, there's so many good things said about the kid coming in. It's hard. I mean, from people that know what they're talking about, it's hard to imagine that he's really this bad. So I mean, I'm. We don't really have a choice either. I mean, like, he's going to be out there. It seems like so.
1: It certainly it certainly didn't help from a confidence standpoint that you don't block.
0: Him yeah, the, on first the first one in yeah, his career for sure. Yeah, definitely, I mean, I don't know, but it's, he's had a couple of brutal ones, man. I mean, it's, it's been tough to watch so far. I mean, I hope he turns it around just from a psyche standpoint. It's
2: definitely in his head, and you saw on that first punt of the UMass game, which he shanked, um, he kind of catches that and then starts to roll to the right a little bit, and there was no pressure there. Um, I think he was just a little afraid. At certain point, if he keeps kicking it like this, you might have to go to Chris Graham there um, because obviously it was close in, in camp. And you can't have 16-yard punt, 20-yard punt. Yeah, I mean, if he's averaging
0: 29 yards, I feel like there's some other dudes that can probably average 29-yard punts. Right. So, like Adam would like to point out, Daryl Scott. <laughs> <10 good>.
1: <laughs> I, I guarantee you if Daryl Scott was Colorado's punter, they would not rank. What were they again? 117th. Uh, 117th in the country, yeah. <laughs> the kicker, uh, we already talked about Diego Gonzalez uh Diego Gonzalez for president, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
2: That's, I, don't know know I, don't, like yeah, I don't know if that's legal in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> DeNaro De Gonzalez. you are going to have an
1: exception just for him because he, he's, he's four for
0: four on field goals at Colorado. Yeah, which, you know, it's good, especially when, you know, what the
2: expectations were for him. Plus, it, he just gives – like, I just can tweet things in Spanish because of Diego, so that's <laughs> – <funny. laughs> Timero Gonzalez. Holder,
1: we gotta talk about Colin Johnson,
0: Ryan. Just absolutely studly out there. I mean, I just look okay, if We don't have to talk about him. He's doing his job.
2: It's Here we are, catching it, it, about and it and holding it and doing
0: everything. Really. His <laughs> technique is, is 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 pretty good. I gotta give him credit. Oh, Jesus.
1: <laughs> Our initial gut feeling about the upcoming Rocky Mountain showdown before this show spirals out of control. Let's talk about <laughs> the next game. My initial gut feeling is this is going to be a nail biter. There's a lot of times I feel like this this Rocky Mountain
0: showdown is going to be a blowout. This year doesn't feel like one of those years. I feel like it's always a nail biter to be honest. And my gut feeling is that my gut is already right up here in my eyeball range. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fr- I'm freaking out already. I hate this game so much. Um, I'm not even going to say what I really think about it because,
2: you know, I'm just I hope we win. I really hope we win. I actually, <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. I actually already know the score of the game. Yeah. Something came, like I was just sitting there yesterday, and like I, someone like something came down, just telling me the score of the game. Colorado wins this game, thirty-four to twenty. And it's just what it is. It's not a prediction. That's what's actually what's going to happen. Someone told me. So.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you: Would your score prediction change dr- dramatically based on Richard Higgins' availability for CSU? Obviously, their star receiver, Blitnikoff. He was a finalist for the Blitnikoff last year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't play in the Minnesota game. Obviously, they could have used him there. and They'd probably win that football game if he's out there. You would think he would have at least that type of impact for a game that was tied and went to overtime. Um, Ryan, you already know the score of the yeah, game. It's, so it doesn't can, matter if yeah. Higgins
2: is out there. Nothing me. can change the score. It's not a prediction. It's a premonition. You don't remember if Higgins was in your premonition? It was... It was I, I, didn't ask, I didn't really ask any questions to the spirit that told me the score, so I, I, I just said okay. So full disclosure here, why was he not playing,
0: do we know?
1: It's an ankle, right? He had, a, I think, an issue okay. throughout camp and then uh, I think tweaked it against Savannah State. And then from everything I'm hearing, it sounds like he's most likely going to play against CU. I would honestly be surprised if he's not
0: out there, but... Ankles are one of those things too. You can tweak it very easily. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I think it would definitely have an impact on the score. I mean, he's the one guy that you are scared of for CSU. I mean, there are other guys who are capable of making plays, but he's the guy. I mean, he's. You can say what you want, about, comparing him to Nelson or whatever, but he's a really, really good receiver. And if you tell me otherwise, you're you just are biased against CSU, and that's fine. I get that. <laughs> but he's good. He's a good
2: player. So for him to be, he's their best offensive player. He, yeah, I mean, it's, there's an impact for sure. They've definitely had some struggles though uh, with their quarterback. It'll be interesting to see who's throwing the ball to him because um, I think I'm not 100 percent sure what happened, but I'm pretty sure they, they ended up pulling Nick Stevens to put in Coleman Key. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if there was a, a small injury or anything. no. They they were talking about they might have to go to a two quarterback system for the rest of the year, which
0: is you know the old adage is if you got two quarterbacks, you got zero.
2: So and I think I, that's I'm a, a
0: Browns fan, so I can attest to that. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully they play two in this game. I think that's a good sign for us,
2: if that's the case.
1: Does feel- I'm sorry, Ryan.
2: Go oh, ahead. So neither one of them hurt you with their feet either. That's three weeks in a row that the Buffs uh, go up against a quarterback that does isn't isn't a dual threat.
1: I would imagine Nichols State has something there, but I don't think we're too worried
2: about that at this point. Still don't even know where Nickel State is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan on you know knowing you at any point. <laughs> Keenan Canny will let you know.
1: <laughs> Do you feel different about... The CU CSU game this year, knowing that this rivalry is likely going to come to an end here in the future.
0: No, I hate it. I've always hated it, and I will hate it until it's no longer there. But you don't feel like
1: some relief that hey, we we'll only have to play X amount of these most likely again against
0: CSU. Huh? Really? I mean, I don't know. It's just no. I mean, I think I think for the last one, I'll be happy that it's done. Um, I don't want to do it every year, but for now it's just a, it's just a game that just all the anxiety in the world comes to me. Like it didn't even like it was UMass and I was celebrating and I was having a good time and like, boom, pops into my
2: head, oh man, we have to play CSU next week. My <laughs> days ruined already. I think I look at it a little differently because I think it's just it's even more pressure for Colorado to win this game. Um, and Rick George just kind of stuck his neck out here trying to get this series over with. And it just looks so bad if you start losing more and more games to them. Um, I think any Colorado fan would agree, you go out there and, and you win these next five games and you say, see, we don't. this isn't, this isn't even a rivalry, we don't need you, bye. Um, but you lose this game, it's like, oh, they've lost two years in a row, like no wonder Colorado doesn't want to play Colorado State anymore. Yeah, um, Yeah, I think it has more to do with the fact that they beat us last year that adds to the pressure than the fact that the series is actually ending. But I uh, as I just see a tweet come across here, Uh, The last time CSU beat CU in consecutive years, MySpace was the hookup site. (laughs) (laughs) I usually don't like the fact that this is the first game of the year
1: because sometimes that first game, there's an equalizer factor that's in there, and this year... it really seems to benefit CU not only the fact that it's not just the first game, but CSU is coming off a game against Minnesota, a Power Conference opponent. Bruce Feldman has his body blow theory that like, and it's not that Minnesota is the most physical team in the country, but it's still it's a pro style team that wants to mm-hmm. ground ground you know be a physical team against you. And Bruce Feldman looked at how teams fared after they played Stanford, and like those teams struggled after getting beat up the next week. So I think that's a factor in, the, in this game that no one's talking about. I think it benefits CU the fact they played UMass, cruised to a victory. Whereas CSU, not only are they feeling probably kind of down in the dumps this week because of the loss, but you know they were, I would assume, pretty beat up in that football game.
2: Yeah, it's weird. Usually CSU has the whole offseason to get up for the CU game, um, and it's you know everyone jokes it's their Super Bowl. This isn't this well. I think. Last week was kind of their Super Bowl. They, they finally get a sellout at Hughes Stadium. Um, they, they get up for that game, and they have a heartbreaker, really, in the end. I think that is a, is an underlying storyline here. They're not going to have that, you know, that it's the first game of the season. It's the CU game. It's the biggest game of the year type of idea heading into this game. It's obviously still that rivalry, and CSU always kind of seems to be The team playing with the chip on their shoulder, playing extra hungry in that game. But I think it's going to be a little different this year considering they've already had kind of a letdown in what was a huge game for them.
1: Yeah. If Colorado manages to beat the Rams, and then I would think we all all agree that they're going to beat Nickel State the following week, does that remove some of the sting of that Hawaii loss, and if so, how much?
0: For me, all of it, because I had us going 3-1 to start the year to begin with, so I'm satisfied with where we are. And if you had to ask me if I want if I'm going to go three and one, I'd rather beat CSU than not. So to me, all all of it. You have three wins in a row. You've already got more wins than last year. I think the momentum is, you know, headed in the right direction. Finally, I mean, we had I didn't really put this together, but we haven't won a game in a year almost. So to win three in a row, I mean, you start to get the momentum. I think the Oregon game is just kind of a throwaway game. Like as long as you're not giving up eighty, you know, eighty points or whatever, you know, that's. Especially now that they've lost. I mean, they're going to be hungry. They're going to try to beat any, anybody as bad as they can. Um, so to me, it's, I mean, if you can go into that 3-1, and one, I'm
2: feeling really happy with where we are. Just real quick on Oregon. I, that was the first time I got to see Vernon Adams play the whole game, and he was super unimpressive to me. Um, so not saying CU's going to beat them. Less than a I, month in a system, and Michigan State can make a quarterback. Yeah, look yeah, just, bad. I just don't like the way he throws it. I just think Michigan, it's so
0: funny to me, because I obviously get to see them a lot at Play Street. They're, I think they're probably the most underrated program in the
2: country. Oh, I don't think, it, I wouldn't even debate that. Yeah. Basketball, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think if you just win the CSU game convincingly, um, that sting of the Hawaii game kind of gets erased. But there's also the other side of the coin, which is now you're 3-1, and one, you, you should be 4-0, and oh, and then that, that bowl game is so much more attainable, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you blow out
1: CSU, aren't you thinking,
0: gosh, what how happens? did this football
1: team lose to Hawaii,
0: yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes, you could, that conversation will definitely happen in my head, but, you know, I'm not. Listen, we have not been very good lately. You put me at 3-1 and one through four games, I'm not. I'm going to do my very best to be like, cool. <laughs> I don't have to listen to CSU all year. I'm good. Like, let's just move on, win me a couple conference games, we'll be headed in the right direction, I don't have to hear the McIntyre hot seat talk, and like, let's just keep the momentum rolling. I think that's just kind of what the goal is now, for me. What other conversations are going on
2: in the head, Tyler? Lots of stuff, man. (laughs) Mostly has to do with furniture. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, when are you going back to Restoration (laughs) (laughs) Hardware? Is
1: CSU still serving bison burgers, like, the week of this game?
2: Probably, I, I don't know. I'm not. What's, a, what's your take? Oh, or? actually, I remember they did do that. They did it on campus, like on Friday. The best, yeah, yeah. Okay. Full disclosure: I eat buffalo meat three times a week minimum. What? Yeah, dude, it's
0: awesome. It's my favorite meat that I eat. It's good. for Do you me. ever feel bad when no. you look at Ralphie? Nope.
2: Ralphie's <laughs> alive. But Ralphie's six? No, it's delicious. Might be inside of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. Oh, well, good.
1: I actually went a long time without. Eating bison burger, and the first time I had it was with a former buff, and he convinced me to actually eat it. And it's pretty amazing, but I will, ne- I don't think I'll ever order it, not have a small part of me feel guilty about it. I don't, I can't remember the
2: last time I've eaten it. I mean, does it taste, basically like regular hamburger meat? It's it's no. it's leaner. It's yeah, like a it's, it's a healthier type for of. for you. It's
0: fantastic. I, I'm just gonna, not that I'm religious by any means, but I'm just gonna throw the whole, um, you know, like sacrifice away with it so that I can get away with this because I know some people are going to crush me for this, but I'd rather me be eating it than a CSU fan. How about that? There you go. Would you eat a Cam the Ram burger? Absolutely not. Rams are trash, alive and dead. (laughs) And we should just end
1: it.
2: That a good note. To end
1: it. does bother me though. Like my brother's bar, which is actually one of my favorite places to get a burger, has you know the Bison Burger, and they call it the Ralphie Burger. That to me seems wrong. No. Okay, fine, fair enough. I'm not. I won't. I won't eat that. Yeah, that is. Don't do that. Before we sign off, real quickly, men's basketball recruiting really heating up here. I think it, <coughs> we kind of forget about that because it's like the AAU season ends, and then football season kicks up, and you're like, oh wait. This is when basketball recruits are cutting their list. They're taking official visits, and early November is the signing period. So, um, We are recording this on Monday afternoon. Bryce Peters is expected to announce this evening. He's a 6'4 guard from Damien High School in the Los Angeles area. He tells me he had 26 offers. A lot of mid-major schools. He did take an official visit to UNLV and Wyoming before visiting Colorado this past weekend. Wink wink, I expect him to pick Colorado. And everything I've heard about this kid is that he's one of the more underrated 2016 recruits out there. Uh, he's a 6'4 guy, like I mentioned, can play the point guard role. Uh, and I heard rave reviews about his pickup games with the, the current CU buffs this past weekend. Um, Colorado, Colorado also had a four star center, Trevor Standback. On campus this past weekend, he's still planning to visit Stanford. He's got a few other schools he's considering. He just absolutely raved about Colorado. The Buffaloes are going to host four-star center Jace Johnson on September 18th, and then there's a three-star power forward recruit Dante Bassi, uh, Bassi that uh, is scheduled uh, for September 24th. I think it's kind of like a couple of years ago when they brought in uh, Tory Miller. Uh, the was it Yante Maton, Is that mm-hmm. how you pronounce his name? And then. Uh, thomas welsh and they were just kind of like hey we like all these guys first one to commit i'm pretty impressed you know there there were a lot of people that were obviously down on the cu program following last season and then they got down on cu program even more after deron davis kind of the their top target from the 2016 class decided not to include them among his finalists they've rebounded very quietly very nicely behind the scenes and and now obviously they got to close the deal with one of these big men but it's been pretty impressive uh what they've done, uh, given how much effort they put into Deron Davis to not even make his top three.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that was a tough thing for them. But uh, to me, it just felt like all along, uh, CU wasn't was ever going to get Deron Davis. Uh, it just felt like it was an uphill battle for them. And I think when they didn't go out there and blow people away on the court, it really hurt them. I thought that was the only way they were going to get Deron. Um, but it is really nice. I, I always trust those guys out on the West Coast, um, the, the rivals guys, when they talk about these players because they see them so much. Um, you know, they're going to watch the UCLA commits or the San Diego State commits a lot, and they end up seeing guys like Bryce Peters all the time. So I saw uh, Ruben Mesa over covering SDSU said, you know, really explosive player or something like that. Um, that was that's good to see because it's not it hasn't always been like that with the recruits, including one of the guys who just. Uh, decommitted Cameron Siderwhite, didn't really have those rave reviews coming from the West Coast. So um, that's a really good thing to see, and it looks like we're expecting uh, him to be a Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I haven't seen anybody talk about
0: really with the program in a while is we haven't gotten any California kids of late. And I think that, I, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate over, but I mean, the, the rise of the program definitely had a lot to do with a lot of the kids from the L.A. area. So I think it's great that we're finally getting back into that. Um, recruiting area, because to me, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of correlation between Spencer and his ski, and I think Colin Brown is a Cali kid originally as well, Um, even though he came over from Utah, and Xavier Johnson and all these guys that are from the California area, we've done really well with them once we have got them into the program, so I mean, to me, California's a recruiting base that we really need to be hitting harder, and so if Bryce Peters happens to, you know, pull the trigger, I think that's, I haven't got to see much of him yet, but... You know, it's always you know, like you said, it's you trust those guys out there on the West Coast, and you know, I mean, to to get back into LA, I think is a big a big thing in its own right.
1: When you talk to Bryce Peters, it it doesn't take long to figure out why Tad Boyle likes him so much. He talks about defense a lot, which is something that this program obviously needs to get back to after last season. If they get Bryce Peters to commit, and then one of these four-star centers, either Trevor Standback or Jace Johnson. How, would that give you a lot more optimism about this program going forward than maybe you
0: had before? Yeah, sure. I mean, anytime you can get a stud, big guy, I mean, that's that's huge for your program. There are, not a, there are not many of those around the country. I mean, as we see from our recruiting since Josh Scott, basically, it's really tough to get big men. So, I mean, if you can get one of those dudes to come in, I mean, you have to feel better at least than we have in the past year. I mean, because we've definitely been trending downwards over the past year. you get a four-star and a guy who's really a high-riser from the L.A. area. I think you just have to feel pretty good about that. At least they're starting to turn the corner and, um, you know, make their way back up into an NCAA tournament contender.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, The recruiting has been a bit scary, I I think, the the past couple years, trending the wrong way. And, I mean, the fact that they had to go out of the country to find a couple of guys is uh, says enough, I think. Um, to be able to get a guy like Jace Johnson, who's a really good all-around big man. I mean, he's one of the one of the guys that kind of does it all. He can step out and shoot the rock. Uh, that would be huge. And like we said, all, all the uh, reviews on Bryce Peters have been good. To get a big man though is really huge because that's one of those areas of recruiting that you can just keep. If you just keep having those close misses, you get into kind of some big trouble. Uh, trying to get good players there.
1: I think it helps that CU basketball has fallen a little bit more back under the radar. It seemed like they were better in that underdog role. Uh, it's crazy to think that in a month from now they're going to be practicing. That yeah. seems too soon. I, as much as I, I love covering that basketball program, that's too soon.
2: Yeah, I, I was just about to say that. I'm like, I feel like I'm cherishing football so much more this year because of that weirdly long off season. I feel like I'm just, like, ba- I'm just entrenching myself in football and just, like, soaking it up so much. I don't even want to think about basketball. Like, when I saw this on the production plan, I was like, oh, we have to talk about basketball. I just want to <laughs> think
0: about football. I love yeah, football. I mean, even, even me as a basketball guy, it seems like I haven't paid as much attention to it this year because last year was such an unexpected disappointment that it's kind of just fallen by the wayside a little bit, and you just want to see the football program to, you know, give you something to feel good about. And then of course, you know, Started off on the wrong foot for sure. So it's like, you know, I don't know. The schedule officially came out last week and yeah. no one really even talked about that. And I don't know. I'm kind of secretly hoping they'll sneak their way back into a respectable season. So apparently, George King is impressing everybody.
1: And, and I was talking with Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera before football practice yesterday. And we we do these soda bets every once in a while, and he's trying he's trying to convince me that George King's gonna average between twelve and fifteen points no, per game. No my
0: god. No way! No. So I I basically I want how much soda you can get out of that? I <laughs> do it right now.
2: I bet the whole. If you factor, have fifteen points
0: a game, we're going to the tournament. That's a guarantee. I'm
2: serious. There's well, we, no way! If, yeah, If he has fifteen points a game, I will eat my own hand <laughs> off of my arm. Well, it's funny because we got in this discussion. I
1: said. All I want George King to do is go out there and get rebounds. That's like I want his focus 100 percent on that, and that's how we got into the debate of. Apparently, he's had this huge uh, progression in terms of his skills. Of hands, though, yeah. He has hands
2: though. he has huge, mm-hmm. massive yeah. hands. I ran into him um, when I was at Half Fast the other night, just getting a sandwich, and I shook his hand, and I was just like, oh my God, his fingers were like halfway up my arm. So, so you wouldn't eat his? Hand? No, that's, that's too much. <laughs> that's too much. <laughs> too too oh,
1: yeah. Can I have like a couple days? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the
0: show's officially bottoming out here. So if he ever if he averages fifteen points a game, you can't eat his hand because then he's actually good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so everyone will be really mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Well, anything else you guys want to say before we sign
0: off here? No. I'm going to go contact Brian Howell and get me some soda. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in.